Amen. Church family, will you take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. This morning we will be in the middle of this chapter as we kind of continue this slow walk through uh, Paul addressing many subjects, uh, many ideas that surround the one subject of marriage. Today we're going to broaden out beyond marriage a little bit, uh, even though this, these verses sit directly in that uh, context. So we're going to be in verses 17 through 24. I invite you to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word this morning. As we read this together, this is the word of the Lord. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the mark of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commands of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself to the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for the victory that we have in Jesus. That the victorious saints of God gathered in this room, united in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the love and fellowship of the brothers and sisters that we share so deeply with one another, God. We are grateful to Jesus who brings us together. Thank you for his church. Who as we walk through affliction and we walk through trials and suffering in life, we recognize the goodness that we have and the bonds of peace with one another. We pray, God, this morning for our time together in your word that it would instruct our hearts, that you would remove from us the sins that so easily entangle and draw us into discontentment and seeking things of this world to meet needs that they could only meet temporarily when you have promised us all things in eternity. Guide us, we pray now in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Let me begin, church, this morning with a question. What do you need to be content? I don't want you to think about this just in general terms. I, I, want to, I want you to really answer the question in your heart before we begin. What would you need to consider yourself to be content today? 
Is it the promotion that you've been waiting on? Is it finally being able to pursue some level of education that you have long sought after? In the context of 1 Corinthians 7, we need to ask, is it a husband or a wife? Is it some kind of fulfillment in marital bliss that you long for? Is it some kind of social status that you need? Is is there something missing that is keeping you from being content? Do you wake up in the mornings feeling this stirring that, that there's something just missing? And if you could just have more money, more free time, more respect, more education, more pleasure, more travel. If you, you just have something, you, you just know that if, if, if you could have that which you see your neighbor have or your friend or a family member, you, you just know that if you could reach out and grab that, that, that you would then finally in your life be content. Church family, through these verses this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I want to remind us that true contentment, real contentment, is not found in things of this world. If you're seeking them today in things of this world, if you're, if you're hoping that education or family or work or social life or marital status is somehow going to answer all of the problems that you perceive in your life and finally lead you to contentment, you are sorely mistaken. That true contentment, real biblical contentment, that which says, no matter what befalls me, I know I will be fine is found only in Jesus. The main idea of our sermon today is being fully content in Christ alone allows believers to faithfully endure any temporal life condition. That when we understand that contentment cannot be found in this world, but it can only be found in Christ, we can endure anything this life throws at us. We can endure any station that we find ourselves in. We can endure any hardship or as we have sung about this morning, any affliction at all because we know that these are but temporary problems that we face and Christ has provided an eternal solution to the discontentment in our souls. I want to implore you from the beginning today, friend, Be content in Jesus. It may seem that this sermon and these verses kind of depart from Paul's primary theme in 1 Corinthians 7, which is marriage, which we will return to next week when we deal with singleness. But it's really not. Paul is providing for us a a really theological treatise, an aside that helps to prove his, his point that he's been making about what does it mean to, to, to be in a healthy marriage? What does it mean to be in a marriage where there's a believing spouse and an unbelieving spouse? What, what does it mean for a, for, for a Christian to endure divorce or uh, to deal with singleness in their life or to even be a, a widow or a, a widower? And, and in the context of that, Paul is going to instruct us on what does it mean to be content. 
really con content because none of those things will actually solve the internal problem of discontentment. We're going to see this in four parts today. The first is that contentment in Christ is the biblical command for all believers. Contentment in Christ isn't only for the spiritually mature. Contentment in Christ isn't only for those who feel like they've gotten everything together and so because they've ordered their life right, they can now find contentment in Christ. Paul makes clear in this first verse of this section that it is an expectation for all believers to know that true contentment comes through a relationship with Jesus alone. Consider with us verse 17. He says, only, this is connecting these ideas to this broader idea of, of marriage, only let each one, let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all of the churches. So when Paul says, this is my rule in all of the churches, he's saying, I'm not just telling you something that you in your specific context in Corinth need to know, but that this is what he would instruct all of the churches, that each person needs to lead a life that the Lord has assigned, that they need to be okay where they are because their contentment isn't found in this world, but their contentment is found in Christ. The apostle uses a word that we have in this section that we have confused. He uses a word calling. He says, and to which God has called him. Our modern understanding of the idea of calling, the way that we hear that and think about it, even within Christian circles, and, and the apostles' use of it are, are somewhat different. We hear calling and, and we think of some mystic inst instruction or guidance placed upon our lives towards some type of profession or skill or undertaking. You, you hear even secular people say this, that, that their calling in life is to, to be something, to, to be a mother or to be a, a doctor or, or to, to serve their country in some way, that this is the, their calling in life. They don't even know where that calling comes from. They, they don't believe it's from God, maybe just like in the universe is somehow calling them. And unfortunately, Christians use that same terminology sometimes. So we read something like this. We, we think Paul is talking about some type of secular calling, but he's not. When, when the apostle uses this term, he's simply describing the Corinthian conversion in Christ and thereby describing your, my friends, if you are in Christ, your conversion in Christ. So if we were to rightly understand what his instructions are in verse 17, it, it's this. Wherever you find yourself... This is what he says, the, the life that the Lord has assigned to him. Wherever you find yourself, whatever condition you find yourself in, when you are converted, when you, when you are called to belief in Jesus, you, you need to be okay with your life situation. Now, we're going to explain this further because some may just hear what I said and think that me saying it's okay for you to live in the way that the life situation you were converted gives you some kind of excuse towards sin. It certainly does not. But in the direct context of, of this verse, Paul is thinking about married people versus single people. 
They're single again, widowed people. And the teaching is certainly broader than that and can be applied to every area of life. What Paul is saying is that Christ sets us free through the call of the gospel to live out our new lives within the circumstances with which we are called. Meaning, if you came to Christ poor, like I'm talking about monetarily here, if you came to Christ poor, then the gospel of Jesus frees you to obey Christ even in that circumstance. And if Christ called you wealthy, you're able to obey Christ in that circumstance. If Christ called you as single, you're able to obey that in, in that circumstance. If Christ called you as married, even married to a, a, to use a phrase from a previous verses in this chapter, married to an unbeliever, Christ gives you freedom to, to stay in that life situation, that you're able to live out your Christian life in, in the manner of circumstance that has been assigned to you. Christ has set us free from the bondage of sin, and Christ has set us free from the desires of this world so that whatever befalls us in this life, even the circumstances that we had found ourselves in prior to coming to Christ, we're able to accept these things because our true contentment is not found in what the world would say it should be in, but it should be in Christ. This is why the command of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all of these things will be added to you. This command of Jesus is both simple and yet profound. It's simple to understand. Above all else, I'm going to seek Jesus. Before I seek a marriage, I'm going to seek Jesus. Before I seek a vocation, I'm going to seek Jesus. Before I seek a paycheck, I'm going to seek Jesus. Before I seek social status, I'm going to seek Jesus. That above all else, the thing that is most important in the life of the believer is to seek Jesus. To seek first the kingdom of God and the result of the kingdom of God is seeking his righteousness. That I'm not only going to seek after uh, Christ and the gospel, but I'm going to obey the commands of Christ and his righteousness. This is why I say that if, when we're saved, we don't remain in our sin. But that God calls us out of our sin, changes our lives, but whatever worldly circumstances we find ourselves in, we are seeking Christ first and his righteousness and then trusting that he will provide all that we need. We seek and trust Christ alone, believing that he will take care of the rest for us. The great reformer Martin Luther said the secret of contentment is the realization that life is a gift, not a right Next to faith, this is the highest art, to be content with the calling in which God has placed on you. So where do you find yourself today, Christian? Do you find yourself single or married? Do you find yourself married to a believer or a non-believer? Do you find yourself a widow or a widower? Do you find yourself uh, employed or unemployed? Do you find yourself well-respected or not well thought of in the community? However you find yourself. Your contentment should first and foremost be in Jesus. That which you seek above all else in this life should be Christ alone. 
no matter the place that the position, the current position that God has assigned you. So this is the overarching command of these verses. It's the imperative. Be content in Christ. Wherever Christ found you, wherever Christ called you, find your contentment in him. But then the question arises, well, how do we actually live that out? What does that really look like in my life? Well, what Paul does in these subsequent verses is he provides some examples for us to help the church think through the application of these instructions. He actually repeats himself. He repeats the instruction two more times in the context of these verses, one in the middle and one at the end, kind of surrounded by these examples, examples of things like circumcision and uncircumcision, examples of bond servants and free men. But all of this is just intended to serve as examples for us, illustrations for us of how we are to apply this teaching to our life. Be content in Christ. And then here's what it means to do that in varying circumstances. So let's see number two. Contentment in Christ requires a reordering of what believers understand to be important. Here's what I already know to be, to be true. There's likely some people that have heard this and you're like, man, I am struggling with this. If we could just be honest and if there's any place in the world that we should be able to be honest, it's this place. If there's any group of people that you should be able to be honest with, it's this group of people. And, and some of you ask those questions at the beginning. You're like, I don't, I'm not content at all. I am seeking after wealth and I'm seeking after status and I'm seeking after authority and I'm, I want these things and if I can't get those things, you just have this, this hunger and you even excused that hunger with some, you know, you, you've justified it a little bit, but now you're, you're confronted with scripture that says above all else, your contentment should be in Christ and you're like, I can't just give lip service to that. What does that actually mean? Well, here's what it means. It means you have to reorder the things that are important. You have to move some things around in your mind because what happens is you've made an idol out of money. You've made an idol out of success. You've made an idol out of family. Yeah, there are single people in this room that have made idols out of the idea of getting married and they would seek a marriage before they would seek Christ. Or you've made an idol out of anything that, that we put before Jesus. And so can true contentment, contentment in Christ requires this reordering, this restructuring in our minds. And Paul uses circumcision as an illustration of this. So let's listen to these verses in verses 18 through 20. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? So the call again, conversion if they were circumcised, it would have mean they are a Jewish convert. This is a person who would, would have been Jewish that came to faith in Jesus. And there were Jewish people, as a synagogue in Corinth. And some of those people, we know they're named in this letter. Some of them were early converts to Christ in that city. And he says, this is the instruction. Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. I don't know how one would do that, but Paul says, don't. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? So these are non-Jewish believers, Greek believers. Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. 
each one should remain in the condition in which he is called. So there he repeats his command, find your contentment in Christ. Each one needs to understand that. You need to obey this command of God and circumcision and uncircumcision doesn't matter. So here's what we can understand from this and knowing what we know from not only this letter, but Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth, that there were some in Corinth, as there were in other New Testament churches, who were called Judaizers. We, we get a specific sense of who those people were in some of the things Paul writes in his next letter. Judaizers were Jewish converts to Christianity who were insisting that Gentile converts, the uncircumcised, be circumcised. This was one of the most significant debates in the first century church. The, the first church council, known as the Jerusalem Council, it's recorded for us in the book of Acts, was, cons- was concerning this idea. What do we do with these Gentiles who have been converted? Should we make them be circumcised or not? The book of Galatians is written because Judaizers had come into that that church and were convincing people that they were going to be saved by the law and not by grace and they needed to follow some things. This was a major debate in the church. So, So imagine with me a minute, you're receiving this on either side of this debate in either faction in Corinth, but hear it from the apostle Paul, who was a Pharisee who in other places in Scripture calls himself a Jew of Jews, that, that if anybody had status amongst the Jewish people in the first century, it would have been Paul. I mean, he checked every single box. He was the guy. And then Christ converted him. He walks away from all of that. So what would cause a former Pharisee to denounce circumcision as being important? Because he says circumcision doesn't matter. Uncircumcision doesn't matter. What really matters is you keep the commands of God. What he's saying is we we have to reorder our beliefs because it's what he had done. Conversion to Christ and finding contentment in Christ required that this man, Jew of Jews, who would have considered circumcision at one part of his life to be a primary function, like it defined him. And he now says it doesn't mean anything. Think about what he writes in very similar circumstances in Galatians chapter three. Paul says, for as many of you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ. And if you are, in, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. You see, the power of the gospel that converts Jews and Greeks, slaves and free men, men and women it is this power of the gospel that, that calls people in all of these life circumstances. Paul's not arguing that these distinctions fully go away. He tells that in, in 1 Corinthians 7, he's like, if you were circumcised, don't seek to undo that. And if, like, the, the distinction of, of, of heritage doesn't go away. Certainly the distinction of male and female doesn't go away. Certainly if one is a bond servant, they're going to remain even after conversion, at least for a period, a, a bond servant. If they're free, they're free. Like these are just realities of life. 
But in light of the gospel, they, they fade away because the gospel of Jesus and our seeking after Christ is the most important thing. When we are called to salvation in Jesus, we reorder our priorities. And instead of those things that we have always thought were important being first and foremost in our lives, now Christ becomes first and foremost. He becomes the most important. And this is where true contentment is found. It's found in Jesus and putting him first, reordering these things in our life. And you may ask, but what if the conditions that I were called in, as we saw in verse 17 and here again in verse 20, what if they're terrible? Now, not sin, mind you, but, but not desirable. What, what, hap- what, what if Christ has called me and, and he's going to address, and I was a slave? What should I do? What, what if Christ has called me and, and I'm a single person that really wants to get married? What, what should I do? What, what if Christ has called me and, and I'm a person that, that barely could be described as living paycheck to paycheck? I just, I just barely get by. And in truth, hard, don't even do that all the time. What, what, am I, what am I supposed to do? Well, again, we reorder our priorities and we recognize that the eternal always outrakes the temporal. Listen to what Paul says in his second letter to the church at Corinth in chapter 4. He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is a, again, a reordering of priorities that we recognize that we are the recipients of an eternal promise. Hear me today. Your bank account does not define your worth. I don't care how much is in it. Your marital status does not define your worth. Your your education level does not define your worth. Your rank in the military does not define your worth. Christ and his eternal promises is what defines the worth of those who are in him. And these afflictions that we sang about a little while ago, these afflictions that we all experience, these afflictions even of life station that some of you were called in, is but a light, momentary passing in time. They are transient, Paul says. They are temporal. But, oh, the promises that we have received in Jesus are eternal. In Philippians chapter 4 The Apostle Paul says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. You see, church, in Christ, we have the ability to be content no matter the circumstances. You see, In a crowd this size, there are probably people who have had very little in their bank account and have gone to a bunch and have gone back to very little. There are people who were single 
were married and thought that there was now a forever and then were abandoned in that marriage. And they, they look and they say, well, what's going to define me now? Where, where am I going to find my contentment now? You're going to find it, my friend, in Christ alone, regardless of your circumstance. You can find contentment in Christ. I found myself this week, just like I did last week reading about sex within marriage, I found myself uh, reading a lot of Puritans and uh, there was a, a 17th century English Puritan named Jeremiah Burroughs. He, he wrote a book, maybe the best treatment on the subject of Christian contentment ever written. It's known as The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, which, by the way, you can get online for free. You can just download it as a PDF. A lot of the Puritan works are just free. The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. You would not go wrong reading this book. And in it, I'm going to quote him a couple of times. Here's the first. Burroughs says, certainly our contentment does not consist in getting the things that we desire, but in God's fashioning our spirit to our conditions. So think about what he's saying, how he's agreeing with the Apostle Paul. You see, it doesn't matter if, if, if we are, are in plenty or if we are in want. It doesn't matter if, if we uh, are, are full or if we are hungry. It doesn't matter if we've been brought low or, or we are abounding in much. It doesn't matter if we're married or single. It doesn't matter if we're wealthy or poor. It doesn't matter if we're whatever. The work of Christ in our lives fashions us into his image in the conditions that we are in. So Jew or Greek, free or slave, male or female, all are able to be like Christ as they are. This is why in the Sermon on the Mount, in the section known as the Beatitudes, Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. How are we satisfied, friend? We are satisfied by prioritizing Christ and his righteousness above all else. This is the way. It's not a way, by the way. It's the way. We reorder the priorities of our minds. In another section of that book, Burroughs writes, a Christian comes to contentment not so much by way of addition as by way of subtraction. That is his way of contentment, and it is a way that the world has no skill in. I open it thus, not so much by adding to what we have or to what he has, not by adding more to his condition, but rather by subtracting from his desires so as to make his desires and his circumstances even and equal. You see, what God does is he sanctifies our desires. And those things that the worldly desires that you had before your calling in Christ become sanctified in Christ. And you say, you know what, I, I don't need those things anymore to be content in Jesus today. And if Jesus gives me those things, great. If he doesn't, great. Because Jesus knows what I need and I'm going to seek him first. I'm going to place him as the first and foremost in my life. I'm going to seek his righteousness in everything. And I'm going to trust that he knows what I need. That he will sanctify my desires. Number three. Contentment in Christ does not, notice this, does not require believers to pass up all opportunities for temporal advancement. Verse 21 is very helpful if we understand what the apostles say. He writes, were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. Then parenthesis, 
But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. Let's think first who he's talking to. And it says bondservant. If you have a different uh, English translation of Scripture, it may say slave. Both of those are equal. Uh, Some modern translations use bondservant not because we're afraid of the word slavery, but because of the way Americans think about the word slavery. You see, when you hear the word slavery, your mind, if you were raised in an American education system, your mind goes to American chattel slavery, which was evil and despicable and had no place in our nation, right? It, it would, it, you can roundly condemn the version of slavery that existed in the United States in Scripture. The, the version of slavery, which refers here in the ESV translation as bond servants, that existed in the first century, while not a perfect institution by any means, and there were certainly evils that arose in that institution, it was different. People actually regularly, the the primary way that people entered into being a bondservant was that they chose to do so. It was the primary form of employment in many places in the Roman Empire. And you had freedom to exit it. You were actually, bondservants in most cases were actually paid and could save up money and actually exit their servanthood. Many of them had prominent positions within society. And so Paul writes to them, some of them converted to Christ in Corinth as bondservants. And he says, were you a bondservant when you were converted? And don't worry about it. It's all right. Even if, even if you've got an evil master, which in other letters, Paul addresses evil masters. He's like, even if you've got an evil master, it's terrible, but it's only terrible for a little while. Like you're, you're going to be okay because You've reprioritized your life and what's eternal matters more than what's temporal. But then he says to him, I think this parenthesis is so important for us, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. What does that have to do with the sermon on contentment, this section of scripture on contentment? It's Paul saying it's okay to seek opportunities in this temporal life. He actually encourages these bond servants. It's like if you're able to save enough enough money and get out of this servanthood and, and that makes sense for you, then, then by all means do it. You see, church, you are free to seek advancement in life insofar as you are not seeking contentment in that advancement. If, you're, if your desire is to have more things because you think those things are going to give you contentment. If your desire uh, is authority through promotion because you think that they're going to give you uh, uh, contentment. If, if your desire is marriage because you think that marriage is going to give you contentment, you, you're seeking them from the wrong motive. So Paul says it's fine to, to, to seek advancement. It's fine to seek freedom. It's fine to see, he'll say this later, it's fine to seek marriage. But, but we can't do so by, by putting those things first. We have to always put Christ first. You see, a, a sermon on contentment could lead to complacency. There's a difference between contentment and complacency. Contentment says, I'm going to find peace in the Lord no matter my circumstances. Complacency says, I'm going to stay right where I am in life because there's no way anything good or better will ever happen to me. Complacency is just kind of wallowing in your misery. Contentment says, even if I am miserable, I am Christ's, and that is the most important. So then how do we do this? How do we know whether we are seeking some kind of temporal advancement 
It's called education, marriage, uh, promotion, whatever it is. How can we know if we're doing this in a godly way or not? Well, we have to test our why. Why are we wanting to do it? I think one of the primary questions we have to ask is, am I doing this simply for the sake of money? Because the Bible gives us a lot of warnings about money. For instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So here it is, contentment in Christ. There's great gain in that. And he says, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Is it, are, are we seeking some kind of temporal advancement because we feel something is lacking in what God has provided for us and we want to force God's hand? The author of Hebrews in Hebrews 13 says, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Do we think that God is only for us when good things are happening to us? Do we think that God is only for us when we've received that promotion or that opportunity presents itself or we're able to marry someone? Are, are, we, are we really only limiting God to our experience and the goodness of God to, to our experience? Or do we really trust when the scriptures say, I will never leave you nor forsake you? This is the test that we have to apply. So yeah, I think it's fine and good for, for you to advance in your career, for you to advance in your social status, for you to advance in your family, for you to get married if the Lord provides an opportunity to do so. I, these things are all fine and good as long as our priorities are still ordered correctly. And what we are seeking is Christ and contentment in him above all else. And here's the way that we really test this. Are you ready? What if they say no? How do you feel the next day? What if the promotion doesn't come? What if the proposal never comes? What if the raise never comes? What if these things never come? Is that going to define you? Are you going to wallow in that? Are you going to be content in Christ? Number four, contentment in Christ reflects the realities of the gospel in the believer's life. Look at these final verses. For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he was free when called as a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, and again the, the command, whatever condition each one was called, there let him remain with God. Be content, Paul says. Be content because the gospel is reflected in your contentment. You see, bondservants, those who were slaves, were actually free in the gospel. And those who were, the, the term free man is, is one who has bought his way out of slavery. Those who are free are actually slaves to Christ in the gospel. You see, the gospel makes us both free and slave at the same time. And we reflect this reality. We reflect that we were bought with a price and the way that we prioritize Christ in our lives so that we find commit contentment in him only. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecution, and calamity. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Christ saving us when we could not save ourselves is evidenced in our lives when we seek our contentment in him alone and not in the circumstances of life. And in seeking contentment in Christ, we reflect the goodness of the gospel that God did in us, which we could never do alone. So what? Do you? I asked you, what, what do you need to be content? Now I'm going to ask you another question. Do you find your contentment in Christ alone? Or are you continually seeking satisfaction in earthly status that will surely pass away? In John chapter 4, Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman drawing water from a well at the end of the, at the, in the middle of the day when no other women would have been at the well she had been passed around by the men of her town. She had been married five to five different husbands and now was living with a man who was not her husband. She had no status. She had no marriage. She had, she, she had no friends. She had nothing. And this woman is drawing water from the well and Jesus goes and speaks with her and he says this to her in verses 13 and 14 of John 4. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This woman drawing water by day to the shame of her status, Jesus offers a different kind of water. Hear me, friend. Jesus offers to you a different kind of water today, regardless of your social standing, regardless of your bank account, regardless of your marital status. Jesus offers to you today living waters that will never run dry. Jesus offers to you something eternal over all that this temporal world has. And we, those who have believed in this truth, are called to find contentment in that in Christ, in that message of the gospel. And if you've never believed it, you can believe it today and find true contentment. Stop seeking pleasure in this world. Stop seeking satisfaction in this world, but come to the one who offers living, true water that never runs dry. I wanna end with an Old Testament reference from a book we don't often go to, the Old Testament minor prophet known as Habakkuk. Maybe we don't go to that one because we struggle to say the word Habakkuk. <laughs> Habakkuk was uh, a, a prophet, a minor prophet, during, during the same time around Jeremiah, a few decades before Jerusalem is finally judged by God, taken into captivity and the temple destroyed. And Habakkuk begins by complaining to God. It's a short book, it's only three chapters. He begins by complaining to God. He's like, why are you going to use this, yeah, we're sinners, but why are you gonna use this, this ungodly empire to punish us? Why are you gonna use a more wicked nation to punish the wickedness of our nation? And God answers. And God's like, I, I, I'm, I'm just, 
and what I am doing is just and what I am doing is good. And Habakkuk sees it and he cries out to God. He kind of changes his priorities in Habakkuk 3 and among other things in his prayer to God that concludes that short book. He says this, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flocks be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Oh, church, if it all disappeared today, would you be able to agree with the prophet, I take joy in the God of my salvation? Because if you're seeking your satisfaction and contentment in earthly things, they will all one day disappear and all that will be left is Christ. So seek your contentment in him alone. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you did not leave us as we were, dead in our trespasses and sin, wallowing in our pity and shame, but that you sent Jesus to bear our sin, to offer us forgiveness. God, would we find true, lasting, eternal contentment, satisfaction, peace in knowing Christ alone. May the, the idea of knowing Christ rule and reign in every decision we make, in every opportunity we pursue, in every affliction and hardship we face. Help us to stay firm and fixed. In Jesus we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Would you stand with us as we sing?